When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. Today we're going to answer your questions about friends who don't drink, complaining co-workers, and how to uphold your etiquette without appearing to pass judgment on someone else. And I'm especially excited because our Postscript segment focuses on pet-sitting etiquette, something I do a lot of. <laughs> That's all coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning, and we're from the Emily Post Institute. Oh my gosh, Dan! We are in the middle of Train the Trainer Week. I know. I, we've often said it would be great to have a camera in studio. If there were a camera here today, they would see your hair on fire. Pretty much, dude. <laughs> My eyes are like bugged out from just... So Train the Trainer is is a... Twice annual. ...program that we do where people come to us to learn to teach Emily Post etiquette or to learn a specific part of Emily Post etiquette. We do a wedding training that's a little bit different, but we also do a business etiquette train the trainer program and a children's etiquette train the trainer program. And Dan is teaching alongside my father, Peter Post, this week in the business program, and I'm teaching alongside Dan's mother in the children's program. So it's nice little like swap of niece-nephew, aunt-uncle kind of thing going on. But it's really fun. It's really cool. The group that we have here this week is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're small classes this time, and I'm really loving that. I like the small groups also. Yeah. Sometimes the children program historically has had slightly smaller groups than yeah. the business, business trainer yeah. program. And I've in the past co-taught with my mother, and I love the feel of that small group where you all get to sit around a table and really explore the topic of etiquette and the best, most effective ways to teach and share these etiquette concepts that we embrace and investigate here on this program, but um, sort of professionally at the Emily Post Institute also. One of the, the things that is so much fun about this particular event is that we get to play host here in Burlington, Vermont, to folks that come from all over the country and more and more in recent years from all over the world. And it's a chance to share the, the tradition that we love as well as the shared passion for etiquette. It is wonderful to get to know people who really have a passion for this type of material, the the content, just like you, our listeners, love this. They really love getting out into their communities and teaching this to people. And it is refreshing and invigorating to share that with other people in the moment for the week. We get to hear from your comments and feedback how much you love the show and you love participating in the etiquette conversation. And to get to do that on a a almost one-on-one level. A a personal face-to-face human connection level is such a treat. It truly is. And people come for all different reasons. They come because they just want to do this. This is something that they want to add to their skill set. Other people come because they want to start their own etiquette 
etiquette business, either teaching to businesses or to children. Some um, people just want to share with their community. Maybe it's scouting. Maybe yes. it's after school programs. Maybe it, it's all, amazing. all kinds of things. It will be really fun to see the rest of this week and the the training early next week uh, play out. And it's it's always such a treat to have these folks go out into the world and start bringing Emily Post etiquette into their communities. That's the good side. Yeah. The tough side is there's a lot of work. <laughs> Being a, a host and a good host takes effort. And so bear with me. I, I just want to paint a picture for you of of what Lizzie looked like today before <laughs> we came over here to the studios to do this recording. What what, what you have to picture Are is... Are we going to describe the flannel shirt and cowboy boots that I wore to the office today? <laughs> so in business casual attire, Lizzie Post running around the office with just a, a cascade of papers flying over her shoulder as she assembles the, the binders that are our training manuals with the, the printer somewhere in the background spitting smoke and just firing off one unit it after another. beeping at me too. Like, you know, it beeps to let you know that it's out of paper you need to change the toner or whatever and i'm trying to run off you know nine copies of everything i'm printing and get it all in these binders and the darn thing just won't stop beeping and asking me questions it's like every time i turned around to come in and and ask you and peter for help or something it would start beeping again and i'd be like oh no yeah it was a it was a little nuts but but we're getting through it. Those binders are all put together now. They're ready for the the gang that's coming on on Saturday, the wedding training. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. It's my first time teaching it, so it's going to be awesome. Be prepared. This is all in the spirit of being prepared. Yeah. And what do we say for hosts that uh, remain calm? Your mood sets the tone. Yeah. So you get this hair on fire moment out of the way. And like any good host, I know that when the moment arrives, it's going to be nothing but it's calm. It's going to be awesome. Composure. I can't wait. In the meantime, we have a show to do. We do have a show to do. Shall we, we sh- get to some questions? I think, I think we shall. Here we arrive. There's so much to learn how to do. Sure, there's a lot to learn, but it's worth it. And learning is easy. One way is by watching others. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, please email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or feel free to give us a call and leave a message at 802-866-0860. Our first question today is titled, The How Matters. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. When I was a little girl, my parents realized fairly quickly that in order to instruct me on how to behave, they would need to be very literal and specific. For example, instead of using the broad term, be a good friend, they would spell out for me exactly what that meant. Don't read books when you have a friend in the car with you. Ask your friend what they're doing this weekend. You should always try to play games that your friends want to play. And because of that, I have certain etiquette rules ingrained in my mind. The issue that I seem to have is when I find myself explaining why I engage or more likely do not engage in certain behaviors. A prime example of this occurred when I was out to eat with friends. We had all ordered entrees and all but one of us were served at the same time. The remaining person's dish had something that required a bit more time in the kitchen. I did as I always do and waited patiently for the final person to be served before starting to eat my food. And when my friends asked what I was doing, I simply responded that I was raised to wait until everyone at the table who was planning to eat had been served before partaking in the meal. After I made that statement, without any intentional reproach in my tone or me requesting for them to do so, my other friends immediately stopped eating and waited for the final person to be served. 
Is there a way I can indicate why I am engaging in or refraining from a behavior without making others feel uncomfortable? You both have such a good way with words, and I worry that I am unintentionally offending others by, I'm assuming, implying that their actions are rude. Thank you both so much for such an entertaining and educational podcast. Brandy. I totally get this. I can see what's happening. Brandy is doing the right thing by, you know, adhering to her own meter of etiquette. You know, this is something she's been taught. She wants to do this. She recognizes it. She doesn't mind at all that other people aren't doing it, which I think is awesome because it means she's not judgmental. But the way she's delivering it, I think no matter what, when you compare your own upbringing, when you start with that line, mm-hmm. It automatically makes other people feel or has the potential to make other people feel like, oh, well, I wasn't raised that way. Is there something wrong with that? So I think that when that leading language that she's using comes out, it's automatically making people feel like they need to sit up straight and put their fork down and wait Mm -hmm. um, without her intention. So I think that she should instead try something like, I'm just waiting a moment or even could say something like, I just wanted to wait for Kim's food, but in a light, casual tone. I'm even trying to get a little bit out. Of, even even that I felt like wasn't quite right in my mind. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm just going to wait for Kim's food. Even that. Like, if I said that to you and you had asked me why I wasn't eating, I said, I'm going to wait for Kim's food. I feel like you might pick up on that and be like, oh, I should be waiting for Kim's food, too. This is one of those situations where if that other person's then going to start to feel, oh, I should have been waiting also, it's a little bit hard to arrest that voice in their mind. Exactly. I'm literally in the moment having trouble with this one. I can't Mm -hmm. decide if we should tell Brandy to be the one to invite others to start eating when she makes a statement like this mm-hmm. or whether that's not really her place because Kim, by the way, Kim is just the example name I'm giving here. It wasn't listed mm-hmm. before. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S. 
to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Kim is the person who really should do that. She, Kim's the one who hasn't been served who should say, hey, everybody start eating if she notices people are waiting. Unless you're playing concretely the host role yeah. in a situation. Yeah. I think that there are a couple of sort of key etiquette points that jump sure. out at me here. One of them is that Brandy has internalized one of the, the fundamental tenets of good etiquette, mm-hmm. which is that ultimately the point of your etiquette is to make other people feel good and make right. other people feel comfortable and at ease. And here's a situation where the etiquette that she's been raised with when she expresses it like that makes other people uncomfortable. She's making an effort to try to not do that. And I, I think that's laudable. I just want to acknowledge yeah. that that's a good place to start from here. As far as the sample language, like you, I'm struggling a little bit because intellectually I've got an idea about how I want to answer this question, which is that the purpose of any manner is really to make explicit our intention to be considerate, respectful, and honest. But that's probably more of a discussion than you want to get oh, into gosh, yeah. when you're just talking about, so so why aren't you eating? Well, because it's the considerate, respectful, and honest thing, thing to, to do, do right now because this other person hasn't been served. Yeah, you can't go there. So as far as the sample script, I think this is one of those cases where you, you do make an effort to minimize the reproach. And I think you do it with your tone. What if you said something like, my mother's voice is in my head right now, and I just can't get it out of there. It's telling me to to wait a little bit to eat. You know, I mean, I don't know if something like that can bring you to a place where you're not placing the judgment of like, I was raised not to, you know, I'm trying to find language here. And the other thing is maybe maybe there isn't any. Maybe you just kind of have to say, I'm just going to hold off for a minute. And that that might be the only way to not get the judgment across because people do hold off for all kinds of reasons. They stop to say a prayer. Mm -hmm. They are doing mindful eating where, you know, they're first really looking at their food and then they're smelling their food and they're taking a minute to think or be grateful for the food that they're going to eat. And I don't want to say Brandy has to start doing these things Mm -hmm. in in order to cover up her real reasoning. I don't like that. It might not even be the specific language. Yeah. Um, When I was growing up, we used to wait for everybody to be served. So I've made that a practice or habit. But that's what she says to them already. And she thinks and it causes them all to stop eating. It gets a slight twist on the I was raised to X, Y or Z to wait. Yeah. Um, What was the difference in the language again? um, When I was growing up. When I was growing up as opposed to I was raised to. That is softer. Yeah. uh, I can hear it. I can hear that. So if I were to invert that, I'd say to myself, oh, well, when I was growing up, I didn't do it that way as opposed to, well, I wasn't raised to do that. You know what? I got it. What if she said, sometimes I just like to wait for everyone to be served. That way, maybe it's not an all the time thing. It's not about when you grew up and how you were raised, but it's just mm-hmm. sometimes I just like to wait. But I like by, that. And then, and then say, but by all means, don't worry about that yourself. This is just a me thing. I really like that. I yeah. like the way I like where you landed on that. Ultimately, that when you're in a situation where you're potentially pointing out what someone else is doing wrong, that you don't invest a lot of explanation and you take responsibility for what it is that you're choosing to do. Brandy, it took us a while to get there, but I really hope that that helps and that you and your friends enjoy a lot of lovely meals together. Our next question is titled Irked Intern. I love how all of our listeners go for alliteration. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm currently interning as a therapist as part of my master's degree program. There are six therapy interns at the site under one supervisor. Five of us absolutely love the site and our supervisor. Unfortunately, one of the interns, let's call her Sue, is not as happy. We have a set number of hours we all need to reach before the summer. 
And we have all talked to our supervisors since the beginning if we feel we need more hours, except Sue. This would not be a problem to me, except that Sue often comes to the rest of us to complain about not meeting her required hours or how she is not a fan of our supervisor. I have talked with the other interns about this, and it seems to bug them as much as it bugs me. I've tried to politely listen to Sue and only respond with typical therapist answers. That sounds tough. I can see how you would feel that way. Those are those are like classic therapy lines. I love it. When all I really wanted to tell her is that she should have taken her hours seriously like the rest of us do. Also, we, including our supervisor, have all tried to give her suggestions and solutions throughout the year to help her reach her hours, but she does not seem to take any of our advice. Is there anything I can do to politely decline talking about these matters with her? I have thought about saying something along the lines of, I'm sorry that happened to you. Life can be rough. But that seems too generalized and callous. I do not feel as though I should give her more potential solutions to her problem, and she's not taken them to heart in the past. Sincerely, Irked Intern. Irked Intern, thank you for your question. I'd like to start out by congratulating you on not being <laughs> drawn into negative gossip. So often it's easy to build rapport with people by complaining. And a piece of advice that I often find myself giving in business social situations is beware of uh, negative gossip, beware of griping, beware of complaining. I think it's admirable that you are not wanting to get drawn into either that mindset or participating and talking down about somebody else, particularly someone that you don't feel deserves it. Or, yeah, I mean, it's going well for Irked mm. Intern and the supervisor. And I think that there is absolutely nothing wrong with you saying, uh, acknowledging the difficulty that your colleague has been having. It sounds like you've done that. That sounds tough. I understand that that could be tough. I can see how you would feel that way. You know, my experience has been very different. I have found our coordinator to be really flexible, and I've been able to meet my hours by talking to her. <laughs> and I, it's as simple as that. You can talk about the positive experience that you have, the positive impression that you have of them. You don't need to discount what your fellow intern is telling you. You don't need to tell her that that's not the experience that she's having. And I also think that you're wise, and I can see you checking yourself despite an impulse to say something like this, that you don't want to scold her. You right. don't want to come across uh, with a tone in your voice or content in your reply that gives her a sense that you think she's lame, <laughs> doing badly. And right. unless she's asked for that kind of of that kind of help, that kind of feedback, and you've mentioned here that you've offered suggestions that they haven't been taken up. Yeah. So I wouldn't necessarily suggest that you start to pepper her with solutions. I, I always love to draw out a larger point of mm -hmm. etiquette, and to me, this is a great reminder to really be careful about that negative gossip. And it's a yeah. good caution to, to all of us who hear your question to remember that it can be a big part of how your colleagues relate to you and perceive you, that if you're always the person bringing up grievances and bringing a tone of negativity into your workspace, that it can literally make people want to run the other direction. That was the other piece of advice that I'm going to go to here is that you can minimize your contact with this person. Yeah. If your colleague is the kind of person who I talked about in the start that really does uh, build rapport and really spends the most of their social time talking negatively about people, situations, or things that you don't have to spend a lot of time with her. You can spend the minimum amount of time that you spend with a professional. Yeah. I have little tolerance personally for when you've you've listened and you've given suggestions. You know, you've done that positive turnaround is how I think about it. Mm -hmm. Like I start to get less tolerant than for someone who keeps coming to me with the same problem. You know, it's like 
after a while, the, the squeaky wheel's not getting the grease for me anymore. And I feel like I would want to say something like, you know, I Sue, I just I can't be your ear on this one. I'm really sorry. But I've given you suggestions in the past and I've given you all my best advice on this one. And I really have to stay positive. I've got to stay in a positive mindset about this environment and I'm enjoying it. So that's I'm a, not I'm not your best source for this one right now. You know, I really like your reply. That's a whole other level of honesty. Yeah. <laughs> that's no, I mean, that's not it's just talking about your your positive relationship with the supervisor, right. but addressing the negativity that you're experiencing and saying yeah. that you know you're you're not the best person to share that sentiment. Yeah, well, and I I don't think it's bad either to bring up the fact that you you have given solutions. We we so often talk about how essential honesty is, that it is one of those fundamental principles, one of the tenets of all good etiquette. We also develop a theme on this program of benevolent honesty, kind honesty, as opposed to brutal or harsh honesty. That didn't sound brutal or harsh to me. Thank goodness. And I, I think sometimes, to me, there was a real tone of broccoli on the tooth there. Yeah, like, that, hey, you know, this, are you this, aware? This audience, me, is not receiving that so well, and you should be aware of that. Yeah, yeah. So when you say me, you're not talking about when you were sitting here across the mic hearing it. My horrible example of a sample script. (laughs) (laughs) I think this gives Irked Intern a couple different places to go. And um, I'm really, really hoping that he or she can navigate it in a way that really helps Sue in this situation, but doesn't doesn't cause Irked Intern to bend to the will and, and be in an uncomfortable situation. And I'll conclude by saying from the perspective of someone who is married to a mental health counselor, (laughs) I hear and appreciate that therapy language. Good luck with the rest of your program and good luck with your profession. I Again, I'm loving the alliteration. Our next question is titled Conscientious Cocktail Consumer. Hey, Lizzie and Dan. I'm a single woman in my mid-20s and I'm still in college. I have friends of many different ages and backgrounds, and I love to bring this melting pot of friends together when having parties or going out. Mixing group of friends like this is so fun and has resulted in many new friendships being formed. However, an issue arises with one friend who does not drink alcohol due to religious reasons. I don't drink heavily, but alcohol is often part of the get-togethers. I love her dearly, and the last thing I want to do is make her uncomfortable. I don't feel that I should be obligated to abstain from having a couple drinks because of someone else's moral choices, but I do feel badly if she is primarily my guest and the only person not having a drink. In the past, I've occasionally excluded her from some parties or bar nights because I felt she might be uncomfortable. Sometimes I will casually let her know when certain get-togethers will include alcohol, and she sometimes ends up joining us anyway. What is the correct etiquette for this type of situation? Is it necessary to warn a guest that an activity might include something she might be morally opposed to? Thank you. Conscientious cocktail consumer. Nice. I have I have personally dealt with this one. I think there's a little bit of projecting going on here. I think that Conscientious cocktail consumer is is projecting a bit of her own fear and worry and uncomfort discomfort, excuse me, onto this friend. There's no saying that this friend judges other people for choosing to drink. It's not like this friend has said, oh, it's bad. It doesn't seem like that anyway. I'm not hearing that anywhere in it. So I think what I really, really want to tell our, our listener, conscientious cocktail consumer, that's a hard one, Whew. <laughs> lots of season S's, is to let your friend manage her own personal choices. And please know that she's very used to doing that. If she is someone who, even if this is something new to her, she is still probably very used to thinking about it. If I go to a party, there will be drinking. Do I want to be around that? When I, I took two years to not, two and a half years to not drink. And I 
was really sad when I found out that a friend of mine hadn't been inviting me to parties because he felt uncomfortable that I wasn't drinking. And he goes, well, people think it's weird that you have water. I was like, nobody else thinks it's weird that I mean, I had, you know, this, this is like within circles of friends that I knew. It's like they all invite me to parties and do stuff like what's going on with you? And it was he was the one who was uncomfortable. And I had to reassure him, like, I'm having fun. I don't look at you badly. Like, this is a fun thing for me to get to come out and be with my friends. So I would really like to do that and not have alcohol be the thing that's that's preventing me from doing that. I'm I'm hearing something there. Do you think that conscientious cocktail consumer could check in with her friend? I think that would be awesome. It is it's always better to come from a place of inclusion and a place of concern for others and just call up that friend or get together with her and say, hey, it's just been on my mind a lot that I know you don't drink and I know it's for religious reasons. And I just wanted to make sure that if I invite you to a party or a gathering or to come with me out for a night that you're going to feel OK about the fact that other people are going to be drinking. I was going to ask if, yeah. the, if the drinking itself were the major focus of the event or the game would yeah. you, or, or the night. So like if you're going to go, you know, drinking can sometimes be the focus of what's going out. Pub crawls, microbrew tours, wine tastings. I mean, these are all things, even just a regular old cocktail party is about cocktails, you know? So there are plenty of times where drinking actually is kind of a main focus or central gathering point for a lot of the things that we socially get together for. I still go back to the point of talk to your friend, check in with her about it, because then it's putting it in her control and it's not you assuming and then excluding. I would also just like to jump in. I really like the advice. I want to give you a great big etiquette kudos for being a hostess, for being a host. I think it is a a really special thing to be the kind of connector that brings different kinds of people together. Those are my favorite dinner parties. Those are my favorite social gatherings. And I think it's admirable. I think it's something you should keep doing. To me, that's one of the treats of a really good social interaction. So, uh, and to know again, that you can all props. have fun doing it. That's OK. You know, I love it. Thank you, Conscientious Cocktail Consumer, for submitting this question. I love getting to dive into it, and I truly hope that you host more wonderful parties. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up, but first, a word from our sponsor. Here, let's try another trick. Our next question is titled, My Uterus, My Business. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I'm a mother to a wonderful 18-month-old girl. In February, I suffered a rather traumatic miscarriage with my second child. It is true that our society doesn't know how to react to a loss that has never been, but in general, I found people to be supportive, with the exception of my parents. My parents were incredibly angry with me that I opted out of a family get-together because I had to have emergency surgery. This experience has made me weary about telling other family members about my loss. Because I was always very open about wanting a large family, and my daughter is at an age that everyone seems to be asking me about a sibling. Questions such as, are you pregnant yet? Or, when is Olivia getting a little brother? Are a daily occurrence. These come from both people who know and don't know about my loss. While I no longer cry when asked that question, I need a short answer to make people realize that they do not have the right to know about the state of my uterus. My husband thinks it's all well-meaning especially from people who don't know about my miscarriage. But it causes an incredible amount of pain for me. I need to shut it down without being rude. Should I have a different response to both groups? While we're going to try again, I don't feel the need to let others know. But I do not want to lie at the same time. Any help will be most welcome. My uterus, my business. 
first, we really want to say we are so sorry for your loss. A miscarriage is a really hard thing to deal with, and it is hard because you don't always want to tell everybody. It is extremely personal. And when and if you choose to start having, you know, kids again or plan for more of a family, it is a very emotional time. And I just really want to say that our sympathies are with you because it is very hard to navigate that and feel like you're coming from a place of understanding and positive etiquette experiences. So just please know that we understand how difficult this time is and we really offer our sympathies to you. I think it is our listener's uterus and it is her business, but, you know, she's not so much talking about strangers or casual acquaintances as she's talking about close family who may or may not know about what's happened. And I think it's really hard to when you have talked a lot about wanting a big family and you have one child and then people are saying, "Okay, when's the next one coming? I mean, I'm sure your brother got it. You know, when's when's baby number two on the way? And I think. People have good intentions about wanting to connect with you about something that is so very wonderful and positive and bright and lovely in your life. But at the same time, if they don't know what had happened, you're right. You can't hold it against them. And if they do know what happened, they're trying to get to the positive side of things for you. And I think it's so hard when you yourself are just not yet ready to hear any of these things or talk about it. And I think you have every right to be able to say straight up, I'd really rather not talk about it right now. And that's okay. That is always going to be okay. I'd really rather not talk about it, but I'd love to hear about your new job or I'd love to hear about how you and Casey are doing. This is, again, that place of acknowledge it and then move to something else. And that will really be the biggest clue to anybody about what's going on. All of that being said, when someone who knows what happened pries about future kids or or tries to get you talking about future kids or even about family planning in general, like I said, you can say, you know, right now I'd rather not talk about it. You could say I'm burnt out on talking about it or I need a break from the subject for a while. That would ward off future requests and say, you know, I'm I'm just trying to ask people to, to let me be the one to invite the conversation. That's another one that you could use. For those that don't know, you can use all of the same type of lines we just talked about. But you can also say something less direct. If you don't want to say how you're feeling about it, you could just say, right now we're just focusing on Olivia and leave it at that. We're just focusing on the one that we have. That's it. Um, And you can also acknowledge that their intention is probably coming from a place of being encouraging. And so to say, you know, I, I don't want to talk about it right now, but I know you're coming from a great place. Thanks. I noticed this in the question <laughs> the last, that, that your husband really wanted yeah. to to give many of these people that credit. Yeah. And I, I think it's nice that he and that you are both aware of that. I think it's so often easy to give ourselves credit for our good intentions, but to forget that other people's intentions might be good also. Yeah. But it really does illustrate the point that the best of intentions doesn't save a rude act. It's still a rude act. To and... ask about someone's personal family planning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my uterus, my business, we truly hope that this helps you navigate this kind of tricky time right now. And Dan and I both want to wish you and your family well in the future. We find that getting along with people is pretty important. Do you think you can do that? Oh, yes, I think I can. As always, thank you for submitting your questions. There would be no show without you. You can send updates and comments to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can reach us on Twitter using the hashtag AwesomeEtiquette or leave us a voicemail at 802-866-0860.
Some of you may remember in episode 81 of the Awesome Etiquette podcast, Lizzie shared an experience that she had had recently where the rules had changed about where Benny, her dog, was allowed to come with her or not. And we got a lot of good feedback from that particular show. And what was so interesting about the feedback we got to that topic was that people came down on both sides of the issue. We heard from people that were passionate pet enthusiasts and people that were not big fans of dogs. We were really curious that we got such – such divergent and different feedback and we're looking forward to sharing some of that with you in coming episodes. Today we're going to do a postscript that is about pets and over the course of the past week we received multiple questions that all had to do with pet sitting, a very particular issue that has to do with pet ownership and pet care. And in the past Lizzie and I have noticed that we'll get little clusters of questions about the same etiquette topic, and they often come in from very different places, and maybe it's it's some collective conscious, some collective <laughs> etiquette consciousness out there. But we will get these clusters of questions, and sometimes it's seasonal. We get wedding yeah. questions during the wedding yeah. season, but sometimes it's something like pet sitting, <laughs> and it just <laughs> seems to be in the air. So today's postscript, we're going to address some of these questions. I know. I was laughing because I was like, well, okay, school vacations have been happening, so maybe this is part of it. And then, I don't know, maybe the planets are just aligning like Canis Major and Sirius constellations are like in the right spot. You know what I mean? The answers are in the stars. Exactly. But we got like five questions in a row about it. And I was like, what's going on? Um, And I actually, I pet sit a lot. I need to get people to pet sit for Benny. So this is something I'm really familiar with. In fact, just this past week, I've come off of a week and a half of pet sitting. But the type of scenarios that, that you wrote to us about were like, Planned for dog sitting, then the dog's owner casually mentions that the dog isn't really house trained. So you're like debating, okay, do I leave the dog at your house to pee on your carpets or do I bring the dog to my house to pee on my carpets? Either way, not a good situation. Dog sitting gone well that resulted in a $100 gift card that's making the dog sitter really uncomfortable because they think it was too much compensation. Pet sitting for a friend who, when he returns, asks what you want rather than just providing compensation. And that person was also asking, should I be the one setting standards for compensation? Another situation where it's kind of like, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. But it turns out there's so much more of your back to scratch than my back. No dog pun intended. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, you know, neighbors planned on doing favors, but they just seemed really unbalanced when it all was said and done. So we thought that whether it was house sitting, pet sitting, or kid sitting, that we would make a few etiquette suggestions for for kind of overnight stays and long-term care that someone's asking or that you are providing as a service. The very first thing that I want to suggest is be sure that you are willing. Don't just cave to the pressure of a request in the moment. Just because you like to help out uh, family or friends doesn't mean that you're on the hook to help out for any and all situations. Hey, Dan, do you want to take care of Benny for the weekend? Dan can say, let me think about that. Let me talk to Pooja about that. You know, I'm not ready to say yes right now, but I'll consider it. Please understand if I don't say yes. (laughs) Or maybe even I've got a really busy weekend. It's not a great weekend for me to do that. To do that. except But ask me again in the future. Some houses are easier to take care of. Some kids are easier to take care of. Some dogs and cats are easier to take care of. You decide what works for you. Say yes to the situations you feel comfortable in and definitely say no to the ones that you don't. 
to build on this point, it's really important to think about how this works for you. You're taking on a big responsibility. Yeah. And because it is such a big responsibility, if it is something that you're going to going to do on behalf of someone, if you decide that you want to help them out, don't hold it against them. <laughs> Be sure yeah. that you can actually, in your heart of hearts, say, you know, even though this is a little bit of a burden on me, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it well. It's a big enough responsibility that you really have to be sure that you can own it before you say yes. When I go to house sit in Charlotte, I which is like a good 30 minutes on an easy commute day, there are times where if I don't have a roommate, I also have to think about how am I going to feed my cats? How am I going to check up on my house to make sure that everything's okay? So you really want to think about how doing this favor is going to impact your own routines and your own responsibilities. And are you willing to take that on? This one I love. And the next point is to determine compensation up front. Is this something that you need to be paid for to do? Is it something that you just want a little extra gift or something to do? Is it something where you would feel bad if someone didn't offer you compensation? I let people know that this is something I do as a service and I charge a specific rate for the day, for the night. If I have about four hours worth of responsibility in a day, I count that as a day and I have clear boundaries around what it is. And I make that clear when I talk with the person about it. So that's an okay thing to do. If Dan asked me, you know, and and I wasn't his cousin and family member who happens to love his dog. um, If he asked me to take care of Raju, I would say, yeah, you know, I actually do that. That's a service I provide. I'm a, I'm a house sitter. I'm a dog sitter. This is what I charge per day. So let me know if that works for you. Now all of Sounds a sudden, fair to me. Dan knows what the deal is and he can decide, say, oh, you know, I really need someone to do this as a favor, but thanks anyway. I'm guessing that if you and I were to reach an agreement like that, you would suggest setting a start and an end date. So I have some idea <laughs> of what it's going to cost. Absolutely. I'm also going to guess that If you're someone who has a standard rate, that you probably have some idea of what types of responsibilities you're willing to take on, given that that you've thought about this enough to have a standard rate. Absolutely. And you want to define those responsibilities. You know, is this a dog that needs a hike every day or is it a dog that just kind of needs to be let in and out? You know, are there certain things going on at the house? My dad is into this all the time. Every time they go away and I'm taking care of the house, there's usually like four house things that I have to think about. Like there's a a plumber coming to adjust and deal with this, or there's a, I've got to clean and and do all the pool. You know, I've got to do all the chemicals in the pool and everything like that. And I don't always feel that comfortable doing that. So, you know, finding out what are the responsibilities of care when it comes to this pet or this place, that's, or these kids, it's really important that you feel comfortable with what it is that's being asked of you. It's also a really good idea to know where you turn if something goes wrong. Having backup plans, having emergency or contingency plans that you really want to have some idea of what are the emergency numbers that you use when something happens that you can't handle on your own. And who do you call if something really does go wrong or if you're not sure what to do in a certain situation? One of the things I love is that the family I take, whose house and dog I take care of, the grandmother isn't too far away. And so they always let me know if for some reason you wind up with a big day at work and you can't bring the dogs with you or if something happens and you can't get home in time, she could go and let them out. Please feel free to call her. And that's really nice to know that I have that backup person there if anything goes wrong. Wrong or if I need the extra support. 
the next couple things are all actually about when you just general good rules when you're dealing with someone else's things and taking care of their property or when you're staying at their house without them. And that's to think of things like leave things better than you found them. You know, don't leave a mess for the family when they come home. Make sure that, you know, I always try to go the extra mile and, and, and leave it cleaner than I found it. Another thing to think about is to ask what can be used, what can be eaten out of the fridge. You know, often they'll just say, help yourself to anything. And then there's always that questionable item that looks a little special. I don't touch those items. Or I say, hey, is there anything that you want me to save or you want to hold? I came once and there was a note on a cake from one of the little boys saying, eat this and die. And I was like, wow, okay. So I laughed and I said, I'm going to put this in the freezer so that it doesn't go stale over the week. Let him know that that's where it is. <laughs> but, you know, he's essentially putting the paws off on it. And I thought that was really funny. But I think it's important to know the rules. Can you use the Wi-Fi? If they have streaming capabilities, you know, what's owned, what would be rented or purchased? How do you stay away from messing up their systems that they have on, when it comes to cable or, or streaming or any of those kinds of things? So really be clear and specific about what you're invited to engage in in this house and what you're not, what's off limits. You know, another great point is that even when you're you're using people's items or, or you've been invited to eat anything in the fridge, not finishing something is kind of a really good guideline when it comes to staying at other people's homes. Don't just finish off that gourmet box of chocolates or, you know, that um, – uh, I don't know what else. I'm what? thinking capers and cornichons. Oh, capers and cornichons. <laughs> true post, my cousin Dan is. We, we love our briny items. But yeah, try not to finish items like that. I always try to make sure as long as there's two in there, I can have one and that's fine. But the final point that I would like to make to everyone is to check in about traveling home. You know, you want to make sure that they're in touch with you about delays so that that dog or that or those kids don't get left. Obviously, you're going to stay with the kids till they're safely in their parents' hands again. But I always like to check in and make sure I know what time they're getting home. And I invite them to call me if there's going to be any travel delays so that I can make arrangements to continue care or get that support help that I might need to make sure that the animals in the house are cared for no matter what until the family gets back. So LP, do you want to come house sit for me and Pooch when we head down to Florida this summer? <laughs> Probably, actually, might not be a bad idea. <laughs> you know, there's often competition in my parents' neighborhood for the best house sitters. My folks go on a, a bike trip with the same group of people yeah. each year, and they all compete for who can get the best house sitter in town first. <laughs> it really is a, I love a, it. A, a, a special role, and thank you for those tips on how to handle it well. We like to finish each show with an etiquette salute where we give a nod to some truly excellent etiquette behavior out there. This week, Nicole has a salute for some good Samaritans. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. This is Nicole from Columbus, Ohio. This happened on Christmas Eve. I made a last-minute trip to the grocery store. So I ran to the store and ran in and then ran out. And apparently it was running so fast that I did not pay attention to where my feet were going <laughs> and stepped off of the curb and twisted my ankle. So my immediate reaction was to sit down on the curb 
And before I could try to even think about getting up, I had not one, but two different people come up to me and, oh my gosh, are you okay? I just saw you wipe out. Are you all right? What happened? We'll help you get up. Don't try and get up on your own. And we need to make sure that you can walk before we leave. And these two women, each one took an arm and they lifted me up onto my not sprained foot (laughs) and they made sure I could walk. And then they left as quickly as they appeared. So I didn't even get names or anything like that. But I want to say thank you to those people for stopping because Christmas Eve is stressful enough and then to have something like that happen where you've injured yourself. I mean, even to just have somebody stop and stand there while you kind of assess, it was just really helpful and very touching that they stopped to help me because there were so many people rushing around. I don't know if I would have gotten run over by a car (laughs) trying to get myself up into my car. And so it was very meaningful that they stopped to help me. I'm very grateful for that. Nicole, thank you so much. I love a good Samaritan story. They give us an example of the absolute best in human nature. There's something about stopping to help a stranger and a stranger who's really in need. I don't know if it's because Nicole was talking about the holiday season and it's snowing here in Vermont in April, but it it brings me that feeling of good cheer and of, of people just kind of feeling good in general and therefore kind of looking out for their fellow man. And I love the fact that that they were able to help Nicole in in kind of just a little bit of a moment of, whoa, wait, what just happened? Thank you for sharing, Nicole. And keep those etiquette salutes coming. They really do make our day. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. There would be no show without you. You can submit your next question, comment, or etiquette salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can reach us by phone at 802-866-0860. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. And please do send us your salutes. We need more salutes. So we want to invite you to do just as Nicole had done and tell us about a great moment in your life where someone either gave you a helping hand or you saw some really great etiquette. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by Hans Beto. Let it crawl.